Open your Bibles to John chapter 17. Paul, I appreciate you. appreciate your ministry so much. Paul's fun. Yesterday at the wedding, if you've ever been at a wedding that I do, usually the last thing I do is I say, before we leave, if you're blessed to be sitting by the love of your life, reach over and give them a little kiss. You ever see me do that? I do that to encourage at least once a year, then you might get, get a kiss uh, from, from your wife or husband. Well, see, Paul's engaged to Rebecca Joy Ham, Richie Ham's daughter. And so when I said, if you're blessed to be sitting by the love of your life, Paul got an idea. He got an idea, and he almost puckered, and then he realized that Richie Ham was behind him. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, uh, yeah, uh, none of that at, at this point. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, man. It, it was uh, one of those things. John chapter 17 started a new message series this morning, which I told you I, I felt led toward for about a year. It, it's a hard sermon series for me. And what I was trying to do this morning was actually I felt like pretty difficult to do in a sermon. I was trying to introduce the idea of blind spots, spiritual blind spots. In a car, you understand there are places that you just can't see. Even with mirrors, you have to be able to turn and look and be aware of the fact that there are things you can't see. And in our spiritual lives, our lives in the Lord, there are always parts of our lives, parts of our behavior, parts of our heart that we just don't see. Now the Holy Spirit sees our hearts and our behavior truly and fully, but we don't. And that's why we constantly need to be coming to Christ, coming back to the Spirit and letting Him show us Himself and, and also importantly show us ourselves so we can see the blind spots. The big illustration, uh, the big example I use, hopefully to get you to understand what I'm talking about, was the example of slavery. Our, our great-great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents uh, as Southern Baptists, uh, I, I made a point of saying that, that many of them were, were slave keepers. I even pointed out that Southern Baptist history begins over the issue of slavery. Were all of you aware of that? Was that new to anybody? Did you understand that? And that's why it's so important, so wonderful, that we just elected the very first African-American Southern Baptist president. Uh, to be Southern Baptist, to have our history, and, and honestly, it takes us this long uh, to, uh, to begin to recognize our, our brothers and sisters. Um, it's, it, it's amazing, it's worth celebrating, but it's also, it just raises the question, what took us so long? And when you really think of, of our great-great-grandparents, some who were keeping slaves, what were they thinking? How, how could they miss that? How could they read the Bible and go to worship and, and send missionaries and still think that that's not a contradiction of the gospel? We can see that now. We can look back and say, how did they miss that? That blind spot for them, what we can see. But what I want us to ask now from, from this point on for several messages, I want us to think about our own blind spots. What are the things that perhaps we're missing? What will our children and, and grandchildren and great-grandchildren look back on our day, look back at the church of our generation? What will they look back and say, how could they miss that? What, what were they thinking? Where was the church? Do you have any ideas? Do you see something that maybe the rest of the church, that the church as a whole doesn't see? Can you imagine what our blind spots are? I'll give you two hints, places I think we should look. And again, it sort of goes back to that big example of slavery. I think our blind spots, if you look at Scripture, they often have to do with any place where we fail to see the full worth of a group of human beings. Whenever we diminish 
the value of human life, then we begin to live in a way contrary to the gospel and we can begin to have blind spots. And I'm going to speak about this in a subsequent sermon, but can you think of any place in our culture today where we diminish the value of human life? Yeah, Norm? Absolutely, abortion. Abortion is probably going to be one of those issues that one day they look back and they say, what were they thinking? What were they thinking? And again, we're going to come back to that in a future sermon. It's a blind spot for many people. They just really don't see the scandal of abortion. One of the other things I mentioned this morning and I want us to carry forward is a blind spot also would be in effect whenever our priorities are not God's priorities. When God has set important values and principles and goals for the church and the church doesn't share those priorities, then you probably have a blind spot as well. And I want us to look to John chapter 17 tonight to talk about maybe one of those priorities Jesus is very clear in in his words and all through the New Testament that there's a very, very clear word that that the church, the body of Christ, is supposed to be unified. In in every instance, there is the assumption that that, that the people of God, all those baptized, one in Christ Jesus, are, are one. And yet in our day and age, we live with this incredible splintering of, of the Christian family. I think it's a scandal. I think it's something that one day future generations will look back on and wonder why in the world we couldn't get it together. It's a priority of Jesus, and let's look at it in John chapter 17. This was his prayer on the very last night of his life. I'm going to start in verse 20, John 17, 20. I am praying, Jesus is praying, not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Okay, Praying for his earthly disciples present, but also all who will ever believe. So who does that involve? Who does that entail? Yeah, The Greek word for all there, it means all. You understand? All. Everybody who will ever respond to the gospel message in all future years. I'm praying for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. Jesus is praying to the Father. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity. You get that? Jesus is praying for perfect unity. May they have such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I've revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them talking about a priority of Jesus. This is, remember, the last night of his life and and the prayer that he's praying to the Father before he goes to the cross. 
And obviously Jesus' priority for the church, his disciples at that moment, and then everybody for all time and all places who would ever believe the gospel message, Jesus' prayer was was that they would be one, that they would experience perfect unity. Now that's Jesus' priority. Unfortunately, I'm not sure that that's a priority for the church today. There was actually a Chinese woman who came to the United States to study, and she became a Christian. She became a Christian in a a congregation that had a Chinese church. But she began to look at the Christians all around her in the United States, and she came one day to her pastor with a very serious question. She said, Pastor, I want to understand, why are there so many different churches in the United States? How would you answer her question? She responded to the very simple gospel message of Christ. She comes from a country uh, where there are not a lot of churches. There's just not a lot of of Christian presence at all. She comes to the United States and she looks around and she sees all of these different churches. And it raises the question, why? How would you answer her? Yeah, what would you say, Ken? Yeah, we often tend to look at our differences, and and we are different. Just take a look down your pew right now, and and you will probably see several examples of, of, of difference. Yeah, we got some odd birds in this place. And that's just us. That's just us. If you look across the Christian family, there are... There are folks who worship so differently from us that they think differently, they gather differently. And honestly, those differences are real, that they're real. But there should be something that unites us in spite of all of our differences, that there's something that unites us. And what is that? It's Christ. It's the gospel, absolutely. And when we are one in Christ, there really shouldn't be any kind of difference that would make a difference. When our unity is in Christ. But, but however, we tend to focus on differences and therefore we, we just can't get past that to Christ. Why else? How would you answer her? Why so many churches? We get hung up on doctrine. Does doctrine not matter? Yeah, not always, not always. We sometimes get really caught up in differences in doctrine. We'll talk about this more as as the message unfolds. Uh, Sometimes we major too much on issues that that aren't worth making an issue of, uh, very small doctrinal differences. Uh, In other words, we don't always know the difference between a, a major doctrine and a very, very minor thing. We don't always know the difference between something big and something small. What else? Why so many churches? Remember, we are a church that we feel like God has called us to plant more churches. Are we part of the problem? (laughs) Joan Hill says probably. Yeah. Why would we plant more churches? If there are already too many, if we've done confuse this Chinese woman, why plant more? Why do we need more? There's still a lot of people, a lot of people who don't know Christ. Yeah, remember, as God has called our church to plant churches, that church planting is an outgrowth of evangelism. It's an outgrowth of evangelism. We're planting new churches because we want to reach new believers. 
New churches for new, new believers. We're not just trying to plant churches so that church people who are bored with the church they're in can go try a new church. You understand? And, and that's a very important distinction. We want to plant new churches because we want to reach new believers. Church planting should be an outgrowth of evangelism and not just some sort of protest by Christians who can't get along. It's the Christians who can't get along that is the offense to Christ. Do you understand that? It's an offense to Christ in the biggest sense and in the smallest sense. To whatever degree in this local body, I told you to look down your pew and look for the weird people. I'm telling you, they're here. They're here. It's just our church. We're all weird. Understand, when I said that, the rest of the pew was looking at you. It's just part of it. We're human beings. We're all different. And because we're different and because we're human and because we still have a, a, a sin nature, we're going to have difficulty in relationship. This unity isn't something easy. If we could do it without Christ, then we wouldn't have needed to have Christ die for us. You understand? This is something that, that, that Christ purchases with his blood. This is valuable, and, and it's a kind of miracle that, that all of us can come together, different as we are, and, and find unity in Christ. It's a miracle. It is, of all things, the one thing Jesus says, when the world sees this, they're going to know that I came from God. When the world sees this, this, this church loving each other, then the world's going to know that the gospel is true. It's that kind of miracle. It's a miracle. When people as different as we can be can still love each other in Christ. That's beautiful. It's also exactly why the devil works so hard to turn us against each other. Did you understand to whatever degree we allow anything to separate us, that is an offense. It's a scandal. It's not okay. It's not okay. It is not okay that you stay mad at somebody even in this church. That's not okay. Not even okay if you just figure out that you go to 830 and let her go to 11 and you'll never have to see her. Do you understand? That's not okay. It's not okay. It's not okay when Christians can't get along. That's not a small thing. It's a big thing. Jesus makes it a big thing. He prays for perfect unity. In the same way that I am in you, Father, Jesus prays, let them be in me and love each other with, with perfect unity. It's his priority. What's wrong with us? Now, I would say that there are legitimate reasons sometimes to make distinctions between us and other groups. And those reasons would be purely doctrinal. There are groups that we probably can't have perfect unity with because I'm not sure they're in Christ. But most of the time, that's not what's holding us back. Let's be honest. There's a large church in the United States recently who experienced a rather painful church split. You think it was over doctrine? It hardly ever is. You know what it was over? Baseball caps. Yeah, I, I wish I were making this up recently. There were two teenagers in a large church who were playing uh, on the school basketball team. They went to the state tournament. That They were great Christian guys who stayed out very late playing ball, got back in early in the morning, but they still came to church. They did change clothes, but they didn't have time to shower, so their hair was all matted and, and ugly and awful. So they asked permission from their moms to wear baseball caps to church. 
Their moms thought it would be better if they just came to church in their baseball caps and if they didn't come. So the mother asked the, the pastor's permission. Can, can these boys today just wear their caps? Because honestly, they've been out all night long. They haven't had showers. They look awful. And the pastor said, sure, fine. One day that's not going to matter. Y'all are holding your breath, aren't you? So one Sunday, two boys came in church with baseball caps on. It was an exception. It was okay. Nobody had a problem. The thing is, the next week, when they probably had time to take showers, and they probably had time to do their hair, they wore caps to church again. It sort of became a habit. They started wearing baseball caps every Sunday. Some of the boys in the youth group, again, this is a pretty big church. Well, then people started complaining. People started complaining. And so eventually the deacons called the pastor and said, Pastor, you're going to have to do something about these baseball caps. People are complaining. Now, the pastor felt very conflicted. Really, it was a difficult spot. What would make the pastor's position difficult? Well, he let it happen the first time. But what else? What makes it difficult? We're dealing with people. He loves them all. But what else? Let's be really honest. The Bible don't say thing one about baseball caps. Okay? This is not doctrine. This is not a biblical issue. You can't even say it's a sin. Now, I know. It's a tradition. It's cultural. In our culture, it's considered bad manners. I understand that completely. But that doesn't make it a sin. Understand? Doesn't make it a sin. In certain cultures, it is considered disrespectful not to take your shoes off when you come in the house. But I'm begging you, keep your shoes on. I'm begging you. It doesn't mean that in our culture. You keep your shoes on. And if you walk in with your shoes on, you don't think of that as disrespect. It's cultural. It's cultural. That was the pastor's dilemma. How do I explain to these young people that, that this is an issue worth fighting for? It's, it didn't mean anything to the kids. It didn't mean anything to half the church. But it meant something to others. Eventually the pastor went to the kids and said, but Boys, I just got to ask you to stop wearing your baseball caps to church. The boys said, okay. But the parents got upset. That church split. Wide open for baseball caps. Now, is that worth it? I'm telling you, is that worth it? In, in, in a few years, when people look back and say, well, how come that church split? Do you think they'll be proud to say, well, it was over baseball caps? Will you be proud of that? This is what, what I'm saying. We do things. We allow things to occupy our minds. We have our priorities, and they're not the priorities of Christ. We have our cultural preferences. We have our personal preferences. But we don't get to divide the body of Christ over cultural and personal preferences. That's not doctrine. So many churches that split. One of the reasons there's so many churches is because people are so cantankerous and people are so unforgiving. They would rather just split the church than do the hard work of sitting down and loving each other. They'd rather just walk off, blow the church wide open than learn how to love and forgive and show patience and love and joy and all the fruit of the Spirit. It's just easier to split the church than it is to live like Christians. And that, my friends, is reprehensible. 
It's inexcusable. It is an incredible contradiction of the gospel. Do you understand what I'm saying? Churches split over the color of the carpet. Churches split over what side of the room they're going to put the piano on. Churches split most of the time for the most ridiculous things. And the devil wins and the devil laughs every time he can make us turn on each other over something that doesn't matter. And nine times out of ten it doesn't matter. We don't seem to know the difference between an issue that's important to take a stand on and an issue that would be most important to just learn to love each other over. Now having said that, there's some important issues we face these days. And unity in the body of Christ is becoming very, very difficult. I don't even really know what some of the answers are. This past week I read an article about the Episcopal Church in the United States. And my wife grew up Episcopalian. And, and my wife's family is a very fine Christian family from, from the Episcopal tradition. My In-laws attend a very fine Episcopal church in Florida. I mean, it's a great church. And my impression of the Episcopal church in Bowling Green is is very positive. They're my brothers and sisters, but are you following what's happening in, in in the denomination, the Episcopal denomination? It's incredible. Years ago that they appointed an openly homosexual man as an archbishop, he abandoned his wife and family in order to go be with his, his same-sex partner. And then he was elevated in the church, not just as, as a regular priest, but, but as a bishop. And, and he's actually a very famous spokesman for the church now. How is that not shameful? But, but it's, it's beyond that now. In the last few weeks, the Episcopal Church in the United States voted to affirm transgendered priests. We're talking about priests who who might be men but dressed like women, and and they're allowed to stand in the pulpit and and speak for God. Do you understand? This is the kind of thing that that the denomination, the Episcopal Church, is now now beginning to, to, to lean toward. Do you understand? At the Episcopal Church's most recent conference, they were unable to pass a simple resolution affirming that Jesus is Lord. They couldn't agree on a statement that just simply said Jesus is Lord and is the way to salvation. I'm I'm not one to to criticize other groups. Y'all know me well. But, But I don't know how we can have any kind of unity with people who can't affirm that Jesus is Lord who can't affirm that Jesus is the way to salvation. I I don't really understand anymore a a denomination that wants to call itself Christian, but but honestly, their priorities are no longer Jesus' priorities. Take a look at this passage with me. Don't take my word for it. Let's look at the priorities of Jesus in this passage. I want to read through some of these verses again. I'm praying not only for these disciples, verse 20, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and they may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. We we can stop there. What are Jesus' priorities for the church? 
the big one we've been talking about all night, a divine kind of perfect unity, a divine unity. But where does this unity come from? Jesus explains it. It's simple. Where is it found? In him. It's in him. It's a divine perfect unity that's only achieved for all of us in Christ. We're united in him. We will never unite around a single presidential candidate. You understand that? We'll never unite around worship styles. We'll we'll never unite around every little detail of how to run the church. But we should unite around Christ. We all follow Christ and pursue him and make truth and holiness of Christ our priority. And then we can get along with everybody else whose priority is the truth and holiness of Christ. Understand? It's perfect unity in Christ. What else? What are Jesus' priorities? They may be in us so that the, verse 21, the world will believe. It's, it's the gospel. The spreading of the gospel, the salvation of the world is one of Jesus's. It is Jesus' driving passion. It's why he came. God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. Do you understand? It's the winning of the world. The salvation of the world is Jesus' passion. Perfect unity for the church, and then the advance of the gospel. The the gospel. While we're busy arguing over the things we argue with, you understand the world's not hearing the gospel. What else? Perfect unity, the gospel, the salvation of the world. Verse 22, I have given them the glory you gave me. And Jesus has much to say about his glory. They can all see the glory you gave me because you love me even before the world began. One of Jesus' priorities is the glory of God. The world must see God's glory. And God is not glorified when we fight. The glory of God and also his love. Uh, one of Jesus' priorities that we experience the kind of love that, that Jesus and the Father have for one another. What are the priorities of the typical church today? Jesus' priorities, unity, salvation of the world, the gospel, God's glory, God's love. What are the priorities of a lot of churches? Yeah, often worship style. And at that point, it's not, you can't say it's worship. Because if everybody comes together with a heart to worship, it's not going to matter if we put Nancy McElroy up there with a tin can to beat. You understand? If everybody comes with a heart to worship God, then God's going to be worshipped. But when we come with this, with this desire to have ourselves pleased, to, to enjoy something, you understand? Worship isn't for our enjoyment. It's for God's glory. So we end up focusing on, on worship style. And, and honestly, it's one of the big reasons that churches split these days because they can't agree on the worship style. My hunch is if you're fighting about worship style, nobody's worshiping anyway. You might as well close the doors. It's God. Worship's for God. It's for God, not for us. Not for us. Yeah. But often the priority becomes make sure Sunday morning is a show that I can enjoy. Yeah. What else? Our priorities, the typical church priorities. Yeah, just the routine. Don't change anything. Keep it like it is. Make sure you start on time. Make sure you end on time. And and it is two minutes till seven. We're sunk. We're sunk. Yeah, just, just, 
a certain kind of make sure you meet my expectations, make sure that the Sunday school class runs in a way that pleases my kid, make sure we start and end on time. Yeah. What else? Typical church priorities. What do people want? Yeah, P programs. I, I want something for all of my kids. Yeah. One of the problems we've had with dinner groups through the years is that when people sign up for dinner groups, they get really mad because they want to make sure that in a dinner group they've got a best friend for every member of their family. Really? Man, this isn't going to go well. You understand? It's just this desire that, that every single member of my family must be catered to. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you're going to be so disappointed. Yeah, our priorities are often very, very different from, from, from Christ's, Christ's priorities. Yeah. Go back to verse 17. Verse, verse 17. I want to back up a little bit and pick up these priorities from Jesus. Again, it's still the same prayer. Jesus says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is the truth. Just as I, you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by, by your truth. I, I just want to wrap up here. If, if our goal is to have the kind of perfect unity that, that Jesus prays for, that Jesus longs for, how, how will we ever have that? Now, honestly, I, I think a lot of churches is fine. We don't need to apologize for that. Everybody in the United States can't go to the same church. And honestly, sometimes the body of Christ is experienced best in a smaller group. We have to apologize for having lots and lots of small, medium-sized churches. That, that's probably healthy and wonderful. There's nothing wrong with that. Something wrong if some people want a, a certain kind of, if, if they feel that they are just called and bent toward a, a very traditional kind of worship style, they can get together and, and worship in the way that glorifies God for them. None of this, I think, is an offense to Christ. So what kind of unity are we talking about? If, we, if we're not literally going to get in the same building, if we're not literally going to just affirm everything everybody else affirms, what, what are we talking about? I think there are two kinds of unity, and you can think of it this way. I think there's a visible unity, an external kind of unity, and a lot of people only think of unity in this way. This is the, the, the external, visible kind where everybody gets together for the presidential prayer breakfast, but nobody can, can, can say anything that might offend anybody, you understand? It, it's, it's just an external, and sometimes it's even false. It's, it's not genuine unity because it's just a show. It's a kind of ecumenical movement that just affirms everybody and, and, and it presents kind of a unified face, but, but it's external. And often the people who talk most about unity, that's what they're interested in. Nobody can talk about anything significant. We're just all going to put on a, a unified face. And certainly that's not what Jesus was praying for here, just a unified face. I think the genuine unity is more invisible. It's more hidden. In other words, I should be able to recognize a brother or, or sister, anybody who's in Christ. But, but when I say in Christ, it's everything that Jesus talks about here. To be in Christ means to be passionate and pursuing his truth. You understand? There is truth. It's not that you can preach anything you want to preach. It's not that you can say anything you want to say. At some point, you begin to preach things that are not Christian truth. And when you cross that line, we're not going to have perfect unity. 
the, the unity comes from the truth of Christ and the holiness of Christ. God bless the Episcopalians for their effort to, to love homosexuals. I love homosexuals. God loves homosexuals. But that does not mean that, that we no longer preach the message of holiness that we no longer teach people that, that God has boundaries for our lives and you just can't make any choice you want to make and, and become a minister, but even call yourself a Christian. Jesus says, make them holy, but by, by my truth, if people aren't pursuing the truth and holiness of Christ, then I'm not sure we can have perfect unity because the unity comes from Christ. It's being in Christ. Now, having said that, do you understand there are so many people who love Jesus. And so many people in so many churches and so many denominations, they love him just like we love him. And they're pursuing his truth just like we are. They're passionate for the Bible. They love God's word and they're pursuing holiness. And their worship service may look different from ours. And they may do things a little bit different. But when it comes to Jesus, they call him Lord. And they worship him with whole hearts. And I'm telling you, if there are people like that, then we are one with them. Perfect unity with anybody who's in Christ. You understand? So it is complicated. It is complicated these days. A lot of people call themselves Christians, and a lot of churches call themselves Christian churches, but, but they no longer have the priorities of, of Christ and his truth and his holiness. And, and I'm not sure we can have unity with them because we don't have unity of faith. But when there's unity of faith, there's not really anything that can divide us. Understand? When there's unity of faith, there's just not anything that can divide us. So in the world, as a church, let's look for partners. Let's look for brothers and sisters in Christ. And don't be surprised where you'll find them. You'll find some in the Catholic church. God bless them. You'll find them in the Orthodox church. You'll find them up the street at the Church of Christ. You'll find people all over the place who call on the name of Jesus and love him as Lord. And if they love him like that, then I'm very, very confident we can love each other. So be open-hearted. And accept those whom Christ has accepted. And, and let's be willing to love and partner and celebrate wherever we find people who, who love and preach Christ, just like we love and preach Christ. Remember when they came to Paul and said, Paul, there's some guys out there that, that they're preaching Jesus, but they don't preach him like you preach him. What did Paul say? If, if Christ is preached, if Christ is preached, so be it. You know, that's bottom line. Christ is preached, then uh, we can be in unity as long as we focus on Christ. My fear is that one day future generations will look back at the church of our day and they will see how much we wasted, how much we wasted, how much we threw away, how the devil was able to keep us from reaching the world for Christ in a day and age when we could literally reach the world in our generation. Do you understand that? With technology, with travel, with the wealth that we have, we could cover this globe with the gospel, but we don't do that because we spend way too much energy fighting Presbyterians and Methodists and Church of Christ and each other. And when we do that, you understand? The body of Christ broken. 
and the heart of God is broken. Make sure that Jesus' priorities for the church remain our priorities so that we can please him in everything. Any final thoughts? Yeah, Ken. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's very possible. You know, the, the issue is ball caps, but there must have been something deeper. I'm with you. When the pastor goes to the teenagers and the teenage boys are mature enough to go, okay, we don't have to wear caps. But the parents all flip out. I mean, the boys were willing to say, okay, we don't have to wear caps, but the parents flip out. Yeah, I just begin to wonder, where's the maturity in this whole group that, that baseball caps would become the issue? There's got to be a, a deeper deficiency in a fellowship where something like that would, would, would break them. Yeah, Ken, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, the thief on the cross, the only thing that he does is the only thing necessary calls upon the mercy of Jesus and, uh, and, and is guaranteed his salvation. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's good. That's good. Anybody else? Anything? Uh, yeah, Jimmy. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see any problem with that, Jimmy, and most people appreciate that sign of, of, of respect. I agree. But the point tonight, Jimmy, is that there are many, many ways to honor Christ and also many ways to dishonor him. And we have to be careful that in our blind spots, we don't dishonor Christ. Yeah, that's good. That's good, Jimmy. Uh, any others? Then uh, Let's dismiss with a word of prayer. Everybody staying together. Uh, it's been such a good day. I love our church. I love our church. Uh, I, 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 I preach sometimes like a... a as if we have many, many weaknesses and deficiencies, and I suppose we do. But honestly, uh, I, I'm not bragging on us, but I don't know where you'll find a church uh, with, with this much genuine love and, and concern for each other. Uh, the kind of unity that we often experience is such a blessing from God. Uh, I just want to remind you to treasure that and defend that and maintain that in as many ways as we can share that with the world. Uh, Jesus himself knew that when the world sees us loving each other, then the gospel, the gospel is going to be believable in a world that needs to know that there is a God who loves them. Uh, let's love each other. Uh, let's be dismissed with prayer together. Tim Cornell, do you mind tonight? Would you voice our final prayer?